Okay, two quick things. One, please check out the NPR One app for a great new way to listen to podcasts and all things NPR. And two, if you're looking for some new podcasts, NPR's newest show is designed to give you just that. It's called The Big Listen. It introduces you to new podcasts and gives you the inside scoop on podcasts you already love. Find The Big Listen on NPR One or at npr.org slash podcast. All right, time for the show. Hey, y'all, it's the NPR Politics Podcast here with a quick take on a couple of big pieces of news today as the dust settles following Sunday night's debate. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. So we've got (laughs) (laughs) we have to talk about what is happening with the Republican Party, because I have never seen anything like this ever. Let's say, like, if you maybe went away for Columbus Day weekend and didn't pay any attention to the media, maybe we should catch up for Let's a quick second. Because, yeah, it's been a lot. So, basically, there is a major rift between lots of leadership in the party and the guy who was supposed to be the Republican Party's standard bearer, Donald Trump. Let's start with some tweets that he sent this morning and then talk about a conference call between House Speaker Paul Ryan and other folks in Congress. First, the tweets this morning, uh, Tuesday morning, Trump tweeted, quote, despite winning the second debate in a landslide, parentheses, every poll, it is hard to do well when Paul Ryan and others give zero support. So he's referencing their uh, statement by Paul Ryan, which came out over the weekend, where he basically said he's no longer going to defend Trump and he's going to spend all of his time and effort now trying to help down ticket Republicans win this November. So he was tacitly admitting that he doesn't think Trump can win. Right. And also part of what Paul Ryan said, and this was in a conference call with House Republicans, uh, is that he said part of his message as he campaigns in October is that President Hillary Clinton should not have a Democratic controlled Congress. Wait, House Speaker Paul Ryan, a Republican, said... President that will be, Hillary Clinton. It's that amazing. will be part of his message on the campaign trail is to make the argument for why Republicans need to stay in control of Congress. The obvious implication of that suggests that House Speaker Paul Ryan no longer believes Donald Trump can win this yeah. race. It's usually so, easier to run against someone, not usually before they'd won. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and so, of course, this made Trump mad. So there were other tweets that he uh, shared today as well. An hour after that first tweet I quoted, he wrote, Our weak and ineffective leader, Paul Ryan, had a bad conference call where his members went wild wild at his disloyalty. And then an hour after that, another Trump tweet, he writes, it is so nice that the shackles have been taken off me and I can now fight for America the way I want to. Domenico, Sue, somebody help me understand. So Donald Trump understand. has been holding back until <laughs> Wait, this, now is oh, what well, he's we've saying. Well, we've been seeing up until now has been shackled Donald Trump. Yeah, well, yeah. there's the continued internal conflict with Donald Trump, with himself, with his campaign, with whoever his campaign manager is at the time. You know, maybe between uh, the angel on his shoulder and not, you know, what Trump should he be? Who should he be? And, and he's constantly been trying to, you know, you see this tension of opposites where he'll reach out in one way to whether it's the black community or Latinos or, or women, who, women, whoever. And then he sort of reverts back uh, or when he feels comfortable, then suddenly he goes back to uh, the old Trump. And this is something that Trump has tweeted about. There's only one Trump. I am who I am. And you're seeing now there could be totally full bore uh, Donald Trump coming out. And there's probably something to what's happening inside his campaign that's part of it. So there is a precedent for parties making the decision 
to filter more support up ticket or down ticket based on what the polls look like. But is there any precedent for such public spatting between the highest ranked member of a party and that party's nominee? You know, uh, Professor Ron Elving (laughs) and I were talking about this this morning, and the closest comparison he could think of uh, was George McGovern in 1972. Uh. But even that, he said, would potentially be a stretch. I mean, the short answer is no. We've never seen anything quite like this. Uh, Over the weekend, we saw about 60 Republican either party party leaders, lawmakers, influencers come out and say that either some combination of they can no longer support Donald Trump, they've unendorsed Donald Trump, or that the party party should replace him at the top of the ticket. At this conference call on Monday, Paul Ryan sort of put himself in that camp, saying he will no longer campaign or defend, but that he did not formally unendorse. Neither has Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who has since gone radio silent on Donald Trump and is just choosing not to comment on this. And we are now in a political reality, 27 days out from the election, 28 if you count Election Day, in which we are going to now test whether it is was smarter to run as a Republican against Donald Trump or if it was smarter to run as a Republican who is standing by Donald Trump. I should say that on this conference call on Monday, I was not on the call, but I spoke to members on the call. The majority of them on this call believe that the party should stand by Donald Trump. They do not believe that they should walk away from him. I would say his tweet was uh, an exaggeration to suggest that uh, people were exploding at leadership. But yes, there was voices on that call that questioned the wisdom of party leaders distancing themselves from Donald Trump. We should also note, though, that Paul Ryan's not the Republican Party. You know, Paul Ryan is the Speaker of the House, and he's looking out for his members and maintaining a majority in the House, which Republicans are still favored to do. But Ryan's Priebus, who is close with Paul Ryan, is the head of the Republican National Committee, which is largely supplementing Donald Trump's on-the-ground operations. And Ryan's Priebus had a one-line statement criticizing Donald Trump after the leaked audio came out of him bragging about groping women in 2005. Now, the difference here is that Ryan's Priebus, after the debate on Sunday, uh, seemed to be back on board. And he and other Republican officials who I'd talked to have downplayed any kind of halting of organization. And the Republican Party itself, the RNC, is still behind Trump. They're still working for him. They're going to try to get him elected. The only issue, the only question is where do they do it? You know, I think you will be guaranteed that they're going to still do it in Florida and Ohio and Pennsylvania and New Hampshire, which all happen to be swing states, but they also happen to be places where there are critical Senate mm-hmm. battlegrounds taking place. Yeah. So if you're a Republican running for re-election or for your first election in the House or Senate, you must be just scared. I was reading coverage of those conference calls that happened these last few days, and there's one quote that just really stood out to me. Um, Greg Walden of Oregon said in this conference call with Paul Ryan that trying to get through this election as a Republican is now like, quote, Landing an airplane in a hurricane. Yeah. What are these folks in Congress thinking right now, Sue? You know, there's no way to be like cute about this. This is very bad news for Republicans down the ballot. There is no positive way to spin what is happening at the top of the ticket down the ballot. And I think when you look at Paul Ryan's reaction and Mitch McConnell's reaction, that is telling you exactly that. As party leaders who people are looking out for their own majorities in Congress, 
they do not believe this is going to help them. The Senate has been at play this entire election season. At this point, it is fair to say it is tilting heavily favored towards a Democratic takeover. Uh, When we talk about places like Pennsylvania and New Hampshire, Hillary Clinton has been leading dramatically in Pennsylvania. This may have put the state away. I'm not sure Pennsylvania is still going to be considered a swing state on election day. What this does is the people who does it affect, right? Like, yeah. why is this so bad for yeah. Donald Trump? Uh, the tape scandal, the fallout, the way he's carrying his campaign is essentially like repellent for women and independent voters, period. And not only that, it is also a repellent for traditional Republican voters. And remember that Mitt Romney won 93 percent of self-identified Republicans and he still lost. Yeah. And Donald Trump is not drawing anywhere near that number. You lose Republicans by three, four, five percentage points, and you're going to lose even further. So, Domenico, talk more about Trump supporters. What does all of this news do for them? So I'll say this. First of all, the Trump supporters are now hardened. Okay, they're not going anywhere. They're not moving away from Donald Trump. His supporters, the 35 to 40 percent of the country, whatever the wiggle room is between those two numbers, they are now hardened. And you have Donald Trump out on the campaign stoking them on. I'll say this. What happened at the debate, and I don't think Donald Trump did particularly well at the debate. When I talked to an RNC official who was going on about how well Donald Trump did and how great he did, I said, well, did that move the needle at all to win over people that he needs to win over? And this person changed their tune and said, well, that's the question. Okay, And I think because of the perception among Trump supporters that Donald Trump did well, that is the worst thing that could have happened for swing state Republican Republican Mm. candidates running in the Senate races, because now it makes it even harder for them to distance themselves from Donald Trump. Had Donald Trump done terribly at that debate, in their view, and the bottom fell out and it appeared that states like Utah and Missouri and Georgia were now suddenly lean Democratic or something like that, had that been the case, it'd be easier for Kelly Ayotte in New Hampshire or Pat Toomey or some of these other folks to say, you know what, just can't stay on board with Donald Trump. Now they can't do that. But here's the inherent risk for these Republican candidates as well. Let's look at John McCain, another uh, member of the Senate who Donald Trump also tweeted out this morning. John McCain was one of the Republicans over the weekend who withdrew his support from Donald Trump. Donald Trump has a lot of supporters in Arizona. And Donald Trump supporters have not wavered in this. And do these voters who we know are going to show up, we know Donald Trump's voters are going to show up on Election Day, do they then turn on John McCain? And so many Republicans, the reason why they did not distance themselves from Donald Trump is because they wanted his voters. And now that they have repudiated Donald Trump, do his voters in turn repudiate them? So what about uh, these senators in swing states Mm -hmm. that are still supporting Trump? What's that about? We have these test cases. So the Senate candidates in tough races who have come out and renounced Trump and said they won't vote for him. Uh, John McCain in Arizona, Kelly Ayotte in New Hampshire, Joe Heck, who's a Republican candidate in Nevada. A significant group of senators, though, have not unendorsed. Roy Blunt in Missouri, Richard Burr in North Carolina, Marco Rubio in Florida. And Marco Rubio put out a statement today essentially saying, doubling down and saying, I do not agree with what Donald Trump said. I do not agree with a lot of Trump's positions, but I still believe he's a better would be a better candidate than Hillary Clinton. And I have my position hasn't changed. Essentially, this needle that they've tried to thread that is like, he's the nominee. I will support him, but I'm not formally endorsing him. That familiar line. And because I think Republicans like Burr, Rubio, Blunt, made that calculation that if they're going to win in November, they are going to need some of Donald Trump's supporters to vote for them, too. 
Yeah. So I want to talk about what Trump's latest stance and these latest tweets really say about the direction of his campaign. You mentioned earlier, Domenico, that <laughs> he's always kind of fighting between the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other one. What if it's the Kellyanne Conway on one shoulder <laughs> well, and the Steve Bannon on the other? And that's that's what we were. That's what I was alluding to. I mean, so to. are we seeing now the full influence of the Breitbart, Steve Bannon vein of campaigning? Yes. I mean, call it the full Breitbart. You know, yeah. call it what you want. Breitbart I mean, being the, the, the conservative right wing yes. publication. Um, you know, and I'd said before in this podcast that I don't really see Donald Trump as a Republican. I, I see him as the person who kind of hijacked the nomination process and was able to win as a Republican and become the Republican nominee. But he's more of a right wing nationalist in the vein of Breitbart. Steve Bannon, who was in charge of Breitbart and is now the campaign CEO of the Trump campaign, has said the kinds of things that Trump exactly agrees with. And they don't fit cleanly in what we think of as traditional Democratic or Republican mold, much more protectionist, anti-immigrant. Uh, you know, it's a it's a different kind of thing. And I don't think Americans have really wrapped their head around that is happening in other parts of the globe. Now, what Steve Bannon is interesting on and the Kellyanne Conway difference. Conway is a pragmatist. She's a veteran Republican pollster. She was trying to get Donald Trump to reach out, moderate his well, you message, know, moderate his tone. After she joined the campaign, there was that moment where he expressed regret for saying things mm -hmm. that were offensive and everyone said, oh, Kellyanne Conway got to him. It's a new Trump. Right. And remember, she came onto the campaign or got a new prominent role when another campaign chairman was ousted in Paul Manafort, mm -hmm. who you know had been seen to have some ties Russian Russia. ties as well. But Bannon is sort of like full out, full bore, take no prisoners. And that's what you saw at this debate, one of the lowest moments in political history, bringing out every conspiracy theory, every Bill Clinton accuser. It was about as, as sad an experience to watch as it was cringeworthy. The full Bannon. I think we have to talk about Bannon a little bit, though, because I think in this context, there's something very important to consider that Breitbart, which is the right wing media outlet, was started by Andrew Breitbart, who, who was a conservative provocateur who died um, tragically at a young age. And Steve Bannon and others have come in to take over Breitbart. But within Breitbart, there has been a civil war unto itself, not hmm. unlike what's happening in the Republican Party. And a lot of the people that worked at Breitbart Media have left after Andrew Breitbart died because they believed that the direction that Bannon took the publication was actually not at all who Andrew Breitbart was, who was a more pure traditional conservative and who was a First Amendment conservative. And a lot of these writers are still working in conservative media, and a lot of them have written extensively about that. So I say this because to suggest that Trump is now following a more Bannon-like strategy just shows you that Bannon is very controversial, even among conservatives. Yeah. So this is like a fraction of a fraction of the party that is now driving the Republican nominee for president. Speaking of driving that nominee, um, there's a new ad today from the Trump campaign attacking Clinton's health. That seems very Bannon-esque. Our next president faces daunting challenges in a dangerous world. Iran promoting terrorism. And we should say in this ad they show images of terrorists and of the Islamic State. And then it sort of shifts to images of Hillary Clinton coughing. They show her walking with uh, men holding her at either elbow. And there is a picture of her as she kind of stumbles as she was getting into a car um, at that, the 9-11 ceremony where she seemed to collapse or had a health episode. Hillary Clinton doesn't have the fortitude, strength or stamina to lead in our world. She failed as secretary of state. Don't let her fail us again. 
I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. And this is where a lot of the conspiracies have come in. You've seen a lot of people, uh, including on Breitbart, talk about Hillary Clinton's health and that she doesn't have the stamina. You've heard Donald Trump say she doesn't have the stamina. There's now, also been conspiracy theories that Hillary Clinton is hiding diseases. Mm -hmm. that Has a body double. Has a body double. Brain I mean, problems. Yeah, very deep Internet conspiracy theories. So this is what this ad is scratching at. Yeah. And. I have to say it was I thought the most one of the most revealing moments of the debate uh, that sort of undercut a lot of Donald Trump's argument was that very last question that a lot of people said, oh, you know, what a nice moment. He complimented her on how she fights and she never and she quits, doesn't give up <laughs> and she doesn't give up. And I said, boy, I thought she was the one who had no stamina and was falling down and needed pillows to hold her up on a chair. How can she have the kind of stamina to fight and never give up? It reminded me very much of the Republican debate, the primary debate earlier this year, where Marco Rubio and John Kasich and all these other folks were saying Donald Trump is dangerous for America. He would be uh, the worst president. You can't vote for him. And then they said, will you pledge to support the nominee? And They're they like, all said, yep. yeah, sure. And, <laughs> and that totally undercut their argument, just like this for me was Trump saying, I'm going to come at you with everything I've got, trying to get in your head. Let's see if she breaks. And by the end of the debate, he'd said, you know what? I couldn't get her. I think a point we need to make in all this is that in the pivot from this weekend, from the debate to the now unshackled Donald Trump, is it would appear that in the closing four weeks of the campaign, he is essentially running a base turnout campaign. Yeah. This is no longer a campaign that is intending to expand the tent, to expand the umbrella. They are just going to the absolute core base Donald Trump voter. And the wing in a prayer would be that they turn out in such unprecedented numbers and he can still win. It would be naive to suggest that that is a very likely possibility. That would probably be the equivalent of a presidential campaign moonshot to the White House. And I think that is why you see down the ballot increasing skepticism that Donald Trump has any chance to win. All right. We've got to move on and talk about Russia. This one's kind of a doozy. Kind of hard to explain, Ooh. but I think I know how to do it. I'm going to try to walk us through this step. It all began yesterday at a rally in Pennsylvania. Trump got up to the lectern with a piece of paper, and he started talking about Sidney Blumenthal. Here's an interesting one. Sidney Blumenthal. One of you guys remind folks who Blumenthal is. Sidney Blumenthal is a former journalist who went to work for the Clintons, essentially, when Bill Clinton was in the White House. And he has in, worked for them in multiple iterations throughout the rest of his career. But he is ultimately an absolute Clinton loyalist. Yeah. And he so, was an, been an advisor to Hillary Clinton. He's been in a lot of those emails from the uh, State Department dump of Clinton's emails from the private server. Yeah. So anyways, at this rally in Pennsylvania, Trump begins to read from a piece of paper and says this about Blumenthal. So Blumenthal writes a quote. This just came out a little while ago. I have to tell you this. One important point has been universally acknowledged by the nine previous reports about Benghazi. This is Sidney Blumenthal, the only one she was talking to. She wasn't talking to Ambassador Stevens, even the 600 calls, probably desperation. The attack was almost certainly preventable, Benghazi. Clinton was in charge of the State Department, and it failed to protect the United States personnel at an American consulate in Libya. He meant Benghazi. If the GOP wants to raise that as a talking point against her, it is legitimate. In other words, he's now admitting that they could have done something about Benghazi. This just came out a little while ago. So 
here's where things turn left. There's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> Turns out those words actually are not the words of Sidney Blumenthal. They are the words of a Newsweek reporter named Kurt Eichenwald. Let me explain. In 2015, Kurt Eichenwald wrote a 10,000-word long read on Benghazi. And the point that he made in that piece was that the entire issue was being used as a political football, that Benghazi was not actually Hillary Clinton's fault. Um, Sidney Blumenthal emailed that article to Clinton campaign manager John Podesta, quoting liberally from that piece. That email that Blumenthal sent to Podesta came out in the latest dump from WikiLeaks. After that, a Russian news outlet, a Russian propaganda outlet Sputnik. called Sputnik, quoted from the email, but they misattributed the Eichenwald quote from Newsweek to Blumenthal. <laughs> and that has led lots of folks to say, well, someone in Trump's orbit is reading Russian propaganda and giving it to Donald Trump. Well, I just want to give you like a like a slow. <laughs> that clap was a good for doing that because as you were doing that, I was I was uh, making a uh, my own flow chart here. We're gonna have to probably publish online. Yeah, I don't know how long I practiced. Eichenwald that. to Blumenthal, Blumenthal Podesta, Podesta so WikiLeaks, Leak. Sputnik misquoted. Back to Trump. Back yes. to Trump. Wow. Yeah. Political telephone. <laughs> at, so, at best, yes, it is bad staff work. Yes. At worst, it is. Spreading Russian propaganda. (laughs) And the latest in some really weird ties between Trump and the folks around him and Russia. You know, we know also Trump took pains on Sunday in the debate to claim that he has no ties to Russia. He suggested that all of these hacks and leaks were not coming from Russia and that, quote, even maybe there was no hacking. But I notice anytime anything wrong happens, they like to say the Russians, the Russians, he doesn't know if it's the Russians doing the hacking. Maybe there is no hacking, but they always blame Russia. And the reason they blame Russia is because they think they're trying to tarnish me with Russia. I know nothing about Russia. I know I know about Russia, but I know nothing about the inner workings of Russia. I don't deal there. I have no businesses. I have no loans. That is actually Russia. not true. The Washington Post reported back in June that Trump received at least a portion of $14 million to bring the Miss Universe pageant to Russia. And in 2008, Donald Trump's son, Donald Jr., told the real estate conference, Quote, Russians make up a pretty disproportionate cross-section of a lot of our assets. I, what is this? This is part of one of the many crazy technicolor backdrops of 2016 in which Donald Donald Trump's relationship, business ties, and otherwise to both Russia and Vladimir Putin have been one of the, can we say, weirder things about 2016, certainly, and certainly for a Republican presidential nominee to seem cozy with Russia, particularly when past Republican presidential nominees have been some of the harshest critics of both Russia and Putin. Uh, What is interesting about what he said in the debate, and in the first debate, you remember Donald Trump also disassociated Russia from the hacking. It could have been the 400-pound hacker. Do you remember that quip? Oh, yeah. That was also in relation to the Russian hacking. What's interesting is that now there's been pushback, and we have to say these are from anonymous sources, which, of course, Donald Trump would question, but there has been pushback from the intelligence community uh, to Trump's assertions about this because since the 
late summer, he and Hillary Clinton both have been in regular brief national security briefings, which is standard operating procedure for presidential candidates. So they're briefed and ready to go if and when they become president. And there was I want to read the direct quote, because just to make clear, as NBC News reported, citing a senior U.S. intelligence official said, To profess not to know at this point is willful misrepresentation, said the official. The intelligence community has walked a very thin line in not taking sides, but both candidates have all the information they need to be crystal clear. And what is crystal clear at the assertion of the entire U.S. intelligence apparatus is that Russia, they believe Russia to be behind the hackings of the DNC and other Democratic outfits that they believe Russia is trying to meddle in the presidential elections and that the latest John Podesta emails that have been channeled through WikiLeaks, they also likely believe that that is Russia's doing. And Donald Trump is, again, this is another example of him not believing the quote unquote experts. Yeah. Right. And and, and that speaks to maybe how he would govern, uh, certainly. And because one more thing to read to you here. This was a joint statement from the Department of Homeland Security and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. The officials. Okay? These are pretty official officials, yeah. right? And they said that the that some of these are, quote, consistent with the methods and motivations of Russian-directed efforts, huh. unquote. And they also later said some states have also seen scanning and probing of their election-related systems, which in most cases originated from servers operated by a Russian company. Okay, so they said that they're not in a position to attribute that activity exactly to the Russian government, but that there are certainly Russian ties. Wow. I also think like the impact when I think about why this matters and who does it affect, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about traditional Republican voters who have more traditional views about foreign policy and U.S. place in the world and what Russia is. And I think that Donald Trump's position on this and his and his relationship with Russia, particularly among that sort of neoconservative movement, makes them really squeamish. And I think that's why you've seen a lot of the George W. Bush security apparatus come out and endorse Hillary Clinton. It's for reasons like this. Yeah. Speaking of Hillary Clinton, we have not spoke about Hillary. Clinton because Donald Trump seems to have sucked all the air out of this news day. <laughs> and in other news. Yeah, but in other news, Hillary Clinton is actually campaigning today with some guy you might have heard of. His name is Al Gore. He will be out with Clinton in Florida talking about climate change and other things. This would actually be pretty big news on any other day. Sure. I mean, Al Gore hasn't been out in public very much. He hasn't been campaigning, yeah. really. It's yeah. not a thing that he does. Um, you know, and he's he's out there now and presumably will talk a little bit about, you know, Donald Trump talking about China and uh, how it was a climate change he had said once was uh, an invented hoax yeah. by the Chinese, which he's later said was a joke. So you'll hear a lot of that from Al Gore, Hillary Clinton. And people will be reminded that as Donald Trump talks about a rigged election, that Al Gore uh, in Florida... <laughs> says a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, yes. That is certainly the undercurrent of the message of Al Gore being in Florida. It's also part of what Hillary Clinton's trying to do right now to reach out to millennial voters. And third party voters. And third party voters. And I think for millennial voters, it's that may not be up to speed on what happened in 2000, reminding them of how pivotal Florida was in that election. But if Florida is going to continue to be close, Hillary Clinton is going to need to get some of those third party voters off the bench. Because many folks argue that Gore lost Really, because of Nader, a third-party candidate. Exactly. Right. Sorry. Well, yeah. Because the 
big part of that was in 2000, the Supreme Court stopped a recount uh, that Democrats believe would have shown Al Gore picking up more votes. And because of that, any little slice that Ralph Nader may have picked up, and he didn't get a huge percentage of the vote, yeah. but there was some evidence that people voted for Ralph Nader who would have likely voted for Al Gore. So this is the day where Hillary Clinton's not going to get too much attention. But does she like that? Is her strategy and her team strategy from now through the end of this election to maybe be incognito and just watch the GOP do whatever they're doing right now? You know, when your opponent's digging themselves into a hole, you don't tell them to stop. You don't need to offer them a hand with the shovel. So, Mic dropped right um, there. But I will say, though, I have heard a slightly different Hillary Clinton uh, starting at the debate. Uh, when I was talking to some of her campaign officials before that debate, uh, I wondered how would she parry the attacks uh, on Bill Clinton's past and what her role was. And the motto they said was avoid the rabbit hole. And so in other words, don't get into that hole with him. Don't go down there. And what you saw her do from the very first question was to try to create this affirmative message and put Donald Trump in a box and put him aside and say everything he's said is, you know, for lack of a better word, deplorable. Uh, but as a country, we need to look toward this more affirmative together message. And I think that you'll see her do both of those things, still attack Donald Trump for the words that he said and try to come up with something that is more positive for her vision for the country. OK, it's time to wrap. Also, we work really, really hard to get you episodes like this when news is going on, as it's happening. So if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. It actually helps other people find us. And as always, listen to us on your local public radio station. Our next episode will be Thursday evening, unless something crazy happens tomorrow. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> Until then, I will say the one bright spot for me from that weird Donald Trump shackles tweet one of my favorite songs ever of all time is by this uh, gospel R&B group named Mary Mary. Their first big single was called Shackles. It always makes me happy. If you want to bright cheer up for your day, go listen to Mary Mary Shackles. Unshackled would be a good vocalness single. Yeah, right. Unshackled. Ooh, keep all of this. It's the, uh, the, clean, the clean version. Yes. The raw yes. version. <laughs> um, all right. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress. I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. Thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast, where the shackles are always off. (laughs) 